Time to record. Time to record. Time to record. Cool. Alright. Uh, welcome to me, my parent, and Liam Neeson. We are once again uh, short on staff, but <laughs> not to worry. We've wiped the DVD clean and actually finished the movie. Uh, I'm Daniel. I'm Patrick. And this week we watched most of Five Minutes of Heaven, then figured out why it was skipping and watched the parts we missed. Figured out why the movie was so short. Yeah. It, I mean, it's a short movie. It's less than an hour and a half long. Yeah. Not by much, but it's less. Uh, this movie was 2009, was its release. Uh, it covers the actual, factual, killing in 1975 uh, related to the Troubles in Northern Ireland. Is there actual, that was an actual event. But then it also covers the fictional, later, modern-day reconnection of the man what did the shooting and the brother of the person that was killed. And I know that it's factual because Liam Neeson met both of the guys. Ooh. He met the... He didn't meet the guy he was portraying until after filming because he didn't want to focus on their physical differences, which makes sense to me. Yeah. Uh, this film I premiered at 2009's Sundance, which is a pretty big deal. Yeah. It won the World Cinema Directed Award for drama and the screenwriting award for the world cinema <clears throat> it premiered at the dublin international film festival in ireland as well i uh, it's been a it's a pretty well recommended movie uh considering the condition of the dvd it's yeah, been watched it's been watched a lot of times like <laughs> theatrically it wasn't necessarily a big deal but as far as cinema and stuff this was a pretty important film it's like Definitely. the subject matter was very good yeah quality of i mean it, it was you could see it wasn't a huge budget you know lots of special effects kind of movie yeah. it was clearly a drama yeah and it was a well-done drama uh they wikipedia also notes that this was the first time that two of the biggest stars from northern ireland specifically liam neeson and james nesbitt yeah appeared in something together and i went james nesbitt i don't necessarily recognize this guy let me go and start looking him up. So, uh, he was in plays and plays. Uh, his breakthrough television role. He did mostly British television. He was in the romantic comedy drama Cold Feet, where he won a British Comedy Award, TV and Radio Industries Club Award, and National Television Award. Hmm. So he's good there. He was in a film called Waking Ned. Don't know what that's about. Uh, Lucky Break. Bloody Sunday, about the 1972 shootings in Derry. So, yeah. playing dramatic historical roles is kind of up his alley. He starred in Murphy's Law as undercover detective Tommy, Tommy Murphy. Oh. I've heard of that TV show. I haven't seen it. Yeah. Uh, he was Dr. Jekyll in Mr. Hyde in Stephen Moffat's Jekyll, which got him a Golden Globe nomination. Uh-huh. He was in this. He was uh, one of the dwarves in The Hobbit. He was not mm. the main dwarf, mm. but he was one of them. So that's a pretty big deal there. Uh, other things I was looking at on this film, because they mentioned the director, Oliver Hirschbiegel, German director. I thought, okay, that's an interesting name. What has this director done? Wait, hold on. This film, Downfall 2004, had uh, Bruno Ganz, who we've talked about in Unknown, because he was the excellent old dude yeah huh but there's not a like that director hasn't done a whole lot 
the writer hasn't done a whole lot. Huh. This was really... We've got this interesting story about Northern Ireland, and we are going to take the two Northern Ireland guys, and we are going to get them in this film. Yeah. And they did. Yeah. Boy, howdy, did they. Well, and I think the acting was very good. Yes. No, the two guys who had to play their parts well played their parts well. Yeah. Uh, the zero to Neeson on this one is abrupt in that it is Neeson's voice narrating a bit about his past. And we spend the first little while of this film seeing 1975 versions of people. Mm-hmm. And his 1975 version, he was... I think he, I think he started out narrating that he was 14 or something like that. Yeah, he was in his teens, for yeah, sure. Yeah, in his teens. And what's going on is the teenagers are feeling like they are needing to be part of the, the Troubles Club. Not necessarily that it's a club in the traditional sense, but that they need to participate because the people around them are telling them it's important and... It's they need to help, and so they want to help in whatever way they can. And it was a really bad situation. It's and it's the troubles. We've talked about the troubles all on this these, podcast all before. All these different places where there were shootings and bombings and stuff daily, yeah. almost. And and the the comments at that beginning part of the movie, something has to be done. We need to yeah. do something. This is was the feeling. The third or fourth time, I think. Liam Neeson has been in a thing related to the Troubles mm-hmm. because it's an extremely important part of Irish slash British history, and it's recent history. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've got four teenagers in a stolen car, which we watched them steal, and they were not great at it, but they did it. And one of them has a gun, and none of them have seen a gun before. It's very clear. And they have basically told the adults in their life, the uh, revolutionary adults, that if you, if you need someone killed, let us do it so we can feel useful or what have you. They want to be part of the adults club. It's their kind of rite of passage. It's not that they're being told to do it. These guys are asking to be initiated, almost. And so they were told, hey, there's this guy. He's planning on leaving. Uh kill him so they go to the guy's house and they kill his kid not him and that's i do, i still don't know if that's i think that's what they were intending i think they were intending to kill his son to convince him to leave the area because it was protestants versus catholics yeah they were trying to convince him to leave and so they killed his kid in a if you stick around we'll do worse it was very odd and it's something that i don't necessarily can't say i have a lot of experience with because you know i live in suburban america in a town where people don't get shot all the time i can't say never because it's happened but it's it seemed odd and he did this all while the guy's brother watched Mm -hmm. from outside young brother younger brother who had been told to go inside by four different people at that point and had not so that was amusing up until the people started dying. And that's basically where the major flashback ended. In that, it, in that this wasn't a flashback, this was just the first part. Now we get to the modern day. Which was setting 2008. Yeah, which is when principal filming happened. Mm-hmm. 
and we've got two characters. We've got James Nesbitt, who is playing the brother of the dead guy, and we've got Liam Neeson playing the guy what shot him. And they are part of a media program designed to reconcile and restore relationships, I think. That part I wasn't 100% clear on. There's definitely lots of cameras, and they've definitely... That was the goal of the the guy who appeared to be in charge of this program doing the interviewing. It's definitely a media circus going on there, but it appears to have good intentions. There's, you know, elements of, all right, he's walking down the stairs, and oh no, we... Our camera guy tripped. You've got to have you go back was, up the stairs. It was a very game. extended portion of the movie, I thought. It was. This whole deal about they're going to film this this meeting between the killer and the witness to the killing. Yeah. The younger brother. They're going to they're gonna do this meeting and they're going to film it and they're going to make a program out of it. And yeah, and it went on and on. A bunch of little vignette scenarios where you're getting the feelings about how is this guy feeling about this situation yeah. and on both sides. It's It doesn't take long for us to figure out that Liam Neeson, who shot Mama just shot a man, as Queen would have it, is acting very calm about this. He's not necessarily calm on the inside because we do see him pop open a water bottle and his mm-hmm. hand is shaking as he's drinking it. That's about the only time that we see how nervous he is. Mm-hmm. James Nesbitt, on the other hand, I think nervous is not a strong enough word for what he is. Yeah. I think partially unhinged by his emotions would do it. He is swearing a lot, which it's British and Irish, so he's allowed. But he's like a stream of consciousness ranting about anything and everything he's thinking about. Internal rants. Oh no, he starts external ranting. He does too. external ranting too, but he does internal rants. He does you see him doing a certain thing and you hear his voice, but he's not actually speaking on yeah. camera. So he's talking to himself at certain mm-hmm. circumstances. Uh we also see bits of flashback after the fact, basically, to how his childhood got just ruined by all of this because his mom blamed him for not not doing something. Not doing not something. stopping Because, you know, film. when you're eight and a guy with a mask and a gun walks up, you, you freeze. Of, of course you do. It, you're eight. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, maybe he, physically he might have been able to do something, but he's eight. This mom blamed the kid for his brother's death until she left. Uh, I, think, I think both his parents died. died. Yeah, no. His life did not during go well. The, during the So so he spent 33 years... Blaming himself. Blaming himself and being blamed and, and basically never dealing with the yeah. situation and getting yeah. over it. Meanwhile, Liam Neeson spent 12 years in prison for this, which they talk about. He found religion. He became sort of a... I wouldn't say motivational speaker, but he's kind of like leading AA groups, except instead of alcoholism, it's I killed people. It seems like he's going, he's got a therapist. He's traveling. He, because he talks about how he was going to go to a thing, but he was in South Africa at the time. So he's got a career. Maybe it's, you know, it's a career out of having killed someone and coming to terms with it. 
but he's doing something about it. Important that he came to terms with it. Yeah. And it, but it was through throughout the movie, you could see through the development of his character, it was still seriously disturbing him. Oh yeah. Be- I mean, he, he was he was not over it. Yeah. The killing. Yeah. By any means. I. Uh, this is going to be extremely not important, and you won't know anything about this. But I have. I'm going to try and use part of this in uh, one of my Dungeons and Dragons characters, who kind of did this in that he killed a guy, and he's trying really hard to be over it. But you, you can't entirely. I've never. S- Disclaimer, I've never killed anyone. I'm not speaking from experience here. But I believe it would be difficult to get over it. But, but you know, it, it's you you hear this and see this in movies and things like that. This sort of concept of killing a person changes you. Yeah. And, and there, that was very definitely yeah. the case in this scenario. And in action movies, it's kind of the whole, the first one changes you and the second one less so and the yeah. third one less so. Yeah. Which is one of the reasons why I think, and we talked about this before we turned it on, I don't think he killed anyone else. Maybe not. Because he's very fixated on this one. Yeah. Well, and he was also convicted of this killing, not some other ones. Yeah. I don't think maybe if he had had a chance, he might have killed again. Yeah. But anyways, uh, the reason why this becomes important when they're at the House of Media Circus is James Nesbitt is going to kill him. And he is extremely happy about it, and he is positive that this is a good idea, and no other sane person who he tells this to uh, agrees with him. And he has a knife, and he's going to go see him, and he says, turn the cameras off, presumably because he doesn't want them to have video recording of a murder. You know, smart thinking on his part. And they say, no, the media circus is the reason we're here. You must participate in the circus. And he leaves. It was interesting that they portrayed him coming down the stairs. It was a long, drawn-out lead to him coming down the stairs. Yeah. Going to meet Neeson's character. And he got to the bottom of the stairs. He was clearly emotionally all out of whack. That was presented well. And they showed him look at the the door, the pair of doors, to where Neeson was. Mm Mm-hmm. And then turn around and 180 degrees was the exit to the building. Yeah. The pair of doors that exits the building. And they they made a point to, with the camera, show both of those. Like, he's looking he, at... His two options. Here are my choices. Yeah. He ultimately takes the alternate yeah. choice. Yeah. So, <laughs> he pieces out because he realizes that he can't actually do it here now. And he's like, all right, I'm done with this and Liam Neeson basically tracks the guy down he gets his uh he gets a photo and he goes to a pub near the guy's house and he basically pays him to pay a street kid to deliver a letter Mm. and it was like hey I want to meet you and James Nesbitt goes sweet murder time and he runs inside past his wife and kids and he's like sweet hey honey you know that knife I keep on top of the cabinets for some reason. I'm going to take it. I'm going to kill a guy. And she goes, what? No, stop. And he pushes her down in front of his kids. Because, you know. And bolts. And, and yeah, that's what you do, I guess. This It was a very good example of 
how important this was to him. Because, holy crap, you don't shove your wife in front of your kids for something that's not important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he was violent with yes. her. And this is the part where the movie started skipping for us, which was a little unfortunate. But we got around and to it. And suddenly we got to the end and we went, wait yeah. a minute. We wa- <laughs> What basically happened here. is there's the 17 scenes of the DVD of vary- varying lengths. And scene 16 starts. And, and then, then it skipped. And Liam Neeson is sitting in a cafe with his phone because he gave a phone number to this guy. And he gets a message. We don't see what the message is. And he gets up and he starts walking. And he ends up at... The place where the murder happened. The same house. It's all boarded up. It's crappy. It's definitely abandoned. And then it skipped to the start of scene 17. Which we won't tell you about now because the ending happened and we clearly missed context. (laughs) And I went on Wikipedia and looked at the plot synopsis. And we, oh boy, did we miss some context. So dad took the disc out and cleaned it. We put it back in. And we found scene 16 hiding under a fingerprint. Yes. So scene 16... The important one. The one where the peril meter happens. Mm-hmm. He goes into the house. The dilapidated house. And he's calling out for this guy. And I'm trying to come up with the correct, succinct description of the music at this point. Ooh. Foreboding ambiance. Yeah. You know when, uh, if anyone here uh, it has trouble sleeping, you can go on YouTube and find 24 hours of start of the USS Enterprise engine noise. And it's excellent white noise. It's that, but they've cranked the bass a little bit. And there's there, you know how uh, you sometimes have music with that sort of heartbeat scenario going on. Yeah, this was a variation on that concept. It was. It wasn't a consistent heartbeat. No, and it wasn't always two beats. And it wasn't really a heartbeat. But no, it, but it kind of felt like it was yeah. really pushing you. To feel a certain way. Oh, there were. This was not the only time in the film when background audio makes it feel incredibly tense. The there was yeah. a point where Liam Neeson was thinking about things and thinking about them hard, and there was a tea kettle whistle going off, and it made it even more tense. <laughs> and there were lots of long portions of movie with no background music or yeah. Audio and very little dialogue. It was there was a lot of and and some of, of it was just dialogue. Yeah, it's substantial dialogue in some places. But the music was was background, um, not at all in your face. Oh yeah, but it sh- it sure did the job of helping you feel a certain way, which is really what you want music to do. You the music should not take over a scene, but it should really make it matter. I uh, I could go on a tirade about music and movies for a while, but that's a different podcast. Tune in next week. I <laughs> uh, so he's in the house and there's a nice shot because it's one of the it's got a thin a thin staircase where you go up, you turn 180 degrees, you go up, and so what happens is the cameraman can stand on that middle platform and you can look down the stairs and see Liam Neeson, and then you can slowly pan up to James Nesbitt. Standing there, looking with his murder face on. They can't see each other. They can't see each other because they're both facing that turnaround point yeah. on the stairs. And then the camera goes back down, and Liam Neeson is starting to walk up, and he's turning around and looking up, and James Nesbitt isn't there. And we, the audience, know that this the correct thing to do in a pantomime show is to go look out. He's right behind you. Yes. But since this isn't that, 
we have to let him keep going. And he goes up the stairs, and peril happens. He enters a room that is a small room. It's like a bathroom or something. It's a small room that he can see basically the whole room as he enters, because it's a very small room. Except for behind the Except there's no guy there, except behind the door, which he does not turn around to see. But clearly... Is where you would. Put I a bad know guy. that yeah. there is someone behind it's me. A, it's situation. a. It's a little stereotypical, but yeah. at this point, the movie does okay with it, and so how he treats that yeah. circumstance, knowing that this guy behind me is going to threaten my life, mm-hmm. and he knew he was there because yeah. it was the only place he could be. So attempted knife murder happens. He's really bad at it. He's surprisingly bad at the knife murder part. He goes to like. Slash his throat instead of just, like, stab him. And he gets him, like, around the neck. And Liam Neeson bites his thumb, so he drops the knife and he backs away. They then kind of trade body blows for a while. Then he grabs Neeson and mashes his head on the ground a few times, like you do. So he's got him down. He kind of gets up, breathing heavy, because he's a middle-aged guy who doesn't know how to knife fight. Picks up the knife. Liam Neeson grabs it. Almost picks up the knife. Almost picks up the knife. But then he gets grabbed and they fall out of the second story window. To the pavement below. To the pavement below. Neither of them are dead because it's a small fall and it's a movie. But I want to say this is the first time that a Liam Neeson character has accurately portrayed how much damage he's taken. Because (laughs) he is breathing heavily and he's walking... Kind of with in like pain. In pain. Because like, he got beat up a little bit and fell out of a second story window. In Taken, he would be on his feet already, jumping back up to that second story window and throwing bad guys 30 feet into the air. But in this one, he sits down, he explains himself, and he says, Forget about me. He explains the past. Yep. He says, Here's why I did it. Here's who I was then. It's And he does it not as a excuse. Here's why you should forgive me. He does it as a, I'm not that person. Forget about that person. Yep. And it's informational only. Yep. It's, yeah. Yeah. Which then we finally get to the ending, which we got to too early the first time, of James Nesbitt is at a, he's at one of those AA meetings that I talked about, where it's AA for people that have done bad things. Or experienced, victims. Victims. Yeah. Or whatever. It was a victim's circle. It's never been explained, but it's one of them circle things. And he talks about how he's done, and he wants his daughters to be proud of him. And he calls up Liam Neeson, who's in London, because it's got the London Eye, and I think he's going to the museum, which I've been to. It's really cool. And he says, We're finished. Mm -hmm. And that's basically it. Because the movie's finished. Because the movie's done. It was interesting. After they had their encounter at the house and they had their fight, the Nesbitt was with his daughters too, which yep. was a significant and piece they of scene. and they very short yep. scene and they but smiled at him and he smiled back. He 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 looked at them at the daughter that was smiling at him. He almost smiled. It was real close. It I was it, it was a it. it was one of those. About as small a smile as you can physically do. Yeah. To to in a movie perceive the feeling. Mm-hmm. And then his chin quivered a little bit, and then he was in the meeting. Yeah. But 
clearly the the message from Neeson's character to Nesbitt, him experiencing his daughter after that, all took him to a completely different place from where he had been for 33 years. Yeah. So this is going to be an intense discussion, probably a short one, about whether stress is peril. Because, Mm. boy howdy, this is probably the most stress I've seen. It's almost all stress. There's that peril at the end. Yeah. But we, I the physical peril was really mostly at the end. Oh, I mean, you, you could argue that he was in peril when they were at the filming place. But, but, he, but he, ne- he never got to him. It was coming, but it didn't. It didn't. At the end was the only real physical peril. But but it was interesting how they they took various scenes and with bits of flashback or bits of self narration or this or that. How you, how they put you in the mind of the character, mm-hmm. and they did that a lot of times with both characters, and they were both tormented in different ways. Yeah, one just displayed it more. Years, they were physically. Yeah. yeah. So what am I going to give this one on the index? Because we can really only give it for the physical peril at the end. Emotional peril is like an eleven. Well, but we don't chart that. He was seriously threatened. He was. I don't think you can give it any less than a five. Because somebody tried to actually kill him. Yeah, but only the one time. But only the one time, yes. And he was really bad at it. <laughs> he was he was threatened uh, uh, um, in mind, but not... That doesn't count. Stress is not peril. We've discussed this. No, no, this. no. I mean, Nesbitt was thinking about killing him for years, but that doesn't count. Tune in next week when we minority <laughs> report our movies about thought crimes. I... I don't know. I was going to go for a three. Okay, let's make it a four then. All right, four it is. Can't argue with that. Law of averages. It's compromise. All right. We could teach the government a thing or two about compromise because we do it really well. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Uh, Tune in next week when we'll definitely have a movie. And I think two weeks from... No, No, I can't say two weeks from now because I don't know for sure when that's going to happen. I won't Uh, be here two weeks from now. Sorry. uh, Schindler's list is coming up on our list, everyone. Prepare your butts. Yeah. Uh, that's well, they don't have to watch it. I mean, I mean, they should watch it. They should. It's watch a good it. movie. It really. However, is. we are going to watch it, and it's long, yeah. so we have to prepare our butts. Yeah. Okay. Bye.